We're continuing with God's gift distribution program. We started this part last week. The text is Romans 12, 6 through 13. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with, with cheerfulness. I mentioned last week that it's surely a wonderful indication of the kind of God we serve that he not only saves us, undeserving, with his grace and mercy, but then he gives gifts to us to serve in his kingdom. And we're meant to see, I think in that comparison, that any gifts we possess, we possess through the same lens. We see them through the same lens that we perceive our salvation. It, they're, they're gifts given. You didn't earn your salvation. You don't earn your gift. I say according to the grace of the gifts given to us, he says, verse 6. I, I take that to mean that spiritual gifts, however beautiful they are, they will always turn into they go bad, they go sour, they turn into self-aggrandizement, pride, competitiveness, when, when that is forgotten. And Paul can't even discuss the gifts without that reminder. These are, they're gifts. They're gifts. Last week we looked at the gifts of prophecy, service, teaching, and exhortation. I want tonight to do contributing generously, leadership, and acts of mercy. We'll try and get through those three. Point number one, the gift of contributing generously. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. That's six. And then 8b, the one who contributes in generosity. There's, there's a sense in which these are words about money, and material gifts, and there's a sense in which Paul's talking about something bigger than just the sharing of material wealth. So there's something in these particular instructions that apply to the proper kind of heart and attitude that should be manifested in all the gifts, and we'll look at that in just a minute. There's a reason, you'll notice, that with each of the points of the last two weeks, last Sunday night and this, when I talk about the next gift on the list, I go back to verse 6 and read that phrase before listing the gift. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, the one who gives with generosity. And repeating it in full, especially when we come to the gift of contributing generously, because it's easy to get confused with who's actually doing the giving. We know how it works. When I disperse with some of my wealth to some kingdom venture, a missionary venture, someone in need, 
it's pretty easy to conclude that I'm the giver, and over here you have the receiver. And I guess on the earthly underbelly of things, it's, that's just the way it is. My wallet, my bank account, my Apple Pay, however you do it, the, money's, the money is emptier. It's leaving me and it's going to someone else, somewhere else, so I'm the donor. It's not untrue, but it's, it's not the kind of thing Paul wants to underscore here. He, he reminds me that that's a pretty limited Forgive me, somewhat ignorant view. God, being very patient and gracious, he'll allow me for a time to treat my wealth as my own. I can, for a limited time, manage my wealth as though I were Lord of all that I possess. But, but the scriptures really press me, and I'm reminded over and over that this delusion that I have is, is just a temporary concession to my own sinfulness. Eventually, eventually the lie of materialism gets exposed, whether we like it or not. 1 Timothy 6, 7, we brought nothing into this world. How much do you get to take out? Nothing. You, you manage what you have for a while. You can't keep it. So, so, Jesus, more than once, he reminded his closest followers, especially in some of his parables, that the master, the Lord, will return to his stewards and he will demand an accounting of their stewardship. There's two principles. An unrenewed mind thinks in terms of ownership. A renewed mind thinks in terms of stewardship. There's the fundamental difference between a natural mind and a renewed mind. And that's what, that's what Paul is putting in a little more gentle, loving manner. The, the capacity to give to the one who contributes. Let him do it with generosity. The, compassion, the capacity to give is, is a gift itself. You weren't born with a bank account. You weren't born with a credit card. And if there's this little voice in the back of your head saying, True enough, Pastor Don. But being that none of us is born with anything more than our birthday suit, I've made more of my life than many others. I did the work. I made the investments. I worked the long days. This religious talk, it's all well and good for you preachers when you're hungry for a buck. But I live in the real world and I made this happen. And those words seem to build a convincing case, but they're really... Not that clever. They're the profound, blind, short-sighted words of an unrenewed mind. So you work long days. That's good. In fact, it's biblical. Work takes strength. Did you also cause your own stomach to digest its food? And did you cause your blood system to carry nutrients to your body's muscles? Did you train your body to resist cancer? Did you, by your own efforts, stave off dementia or Alzheimer's so you could actually read and grasp the financial news of the day? Did you do something special by your own efforts so you didn't die in your sleep last night? 
Only a profound, proud fool would do anything but bow his, her, his or her head in the face of those kinds of questions. The capacity to give is nothing but a free, undeserved gift from a loving creator and a redeeming Lord. And that's at rock bottom. To those who contribute, let them do it with generosity. There's something else here, though. Something else. I think we know that all Christians should be givers, right? I mean, the Bible teaches that. There's, there's something about conversion in general that, that should turn all of us from inward to outward, like World Impact Sunday. There's nobody that should sit on the side and say, well, giving is just not my thing. It has to be your thing. Paul talks about that general kind of giving in Ephesians 4, 28. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. The point isn't that we were all thieves before our conversion. The point is that conversion makes the same change in all of us as it does for literal thieves. It, it turns us from the kind of corruption that pulls material goods inward to the kind of ministering heart that pushes material goods outward. But there are people, the text seems to indicate, they're, they're called. There's, a, there's a, a gifting. People whom God perhaps specifically prospers and, and we're meant to ask, why does God do that? Why does God do that? Does God get glory if he gives me great increase and I consume it totally with more expensive cars and more boats and bigger houses and cottages and swimming pools and better holidays? I'm not knocking any of those things, okay? That's not my point. My point is, materially blessed Christians like we, materially blessed Christians who are stingy, more than anyone else on earth, make Christ look unnecessary. I think that's an important sentence. Materially blessed Christians who are stingy, more than any other people on earth, make Christ look unnecessary. Or does God prosper me with the intention that I will I will steward these blessings in the direction of his kingdom and its needs. Or, or let's write down to it. If God blesses me beyond my needs, does he do so in order that I might increase what I need? Or does he do so that I can maintain my level of consumption and extend his kingdom? Which do you think the answer is? One final thought. I said earlier that there was a sense in which the instructions surrounding this gift about money, they're about money, and there's an, another sense that they're about something bigger. Paul has an interesting line in that eighth verse that he tacks on to this gift of giving with generosity. 
to the one who contributes in generosity. Some translations say simplicity. The word haplotes, the Greek word, it, it can refer to any act that is single, simple, sincerely focused, pure. So, so the generosity isn't to be, there's no mixed motives. My giving isn't to be polluted by the want of a platform or recognition. And what's particularly important is we know that the teaching of Jesus is exactly the same as Paul's in this emphasis. I was looking at Matthew 6, 1 to 4. Is that in your notes, Matthew 6, 1 to 4? Okay. He just covers giving kind of in the middle of it, incidentally, but it's still there. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Then verse 2, thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others to tell you they've received their reward. And he goes on, don't, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is. Don't, don't dwell on it. Boy, they're lucky to have me around here. Keep the lights on in this place. Those words from Jesus, they just form a perfect commentary on Paul's remarks in Romans 12 about giving. And the first thing Jesus says is there's something, quote, we have to beware, beware. Beware of practicing your righteousness. Beware of giving like this. Beware. So it, it, it's something that can creep in unnoticed. You can be unaware. So beware of this Danger. You can be generous and still have a shriveled, grudging heart. It won't be long. It won't be long before we in Canada um, will have churches, their charitable status will be removed. It'll be within your lifetime. You won't get anything for a sacrificial gift to missions. You won't get anything your offerings to the Lord. So what's that going to do to your giving? When, when the giving is just a straight gift and a straight out with nothing coming back. It shouldn't do anything if what Paul's saying is true. It shouldn't do anything. Let it, let it be with generosity. Let it be joyful. Now let's tie this teaching on giving. Let's, this probably isn't in your notes. I was just thinking about this before the service tonight. Let's tie in what he says specifically about this giving with generosity. Let's tie it in with his theme statement. His theme statement for Romans 12, it, it's Romans 12, 1 and 2, the well-known verses. I appeal to you by the mercies of God. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. This is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world. Be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That by testing, try this out. That by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So it's God's goal 
As we've been saying all along, Romans 12, 2, God's goal is to unconform my life to this world. That's God's goal for you. You want to know the will of God for your life? I can tell you what God's will for your life is. His will is to unconform you to this world. That's his plan. Here's how this relates to giving. Acquisition is the hallmark of an unrenewed mind. Acquisition is the birthmark of a worldly mind. It's the fingerprints of a worldly mind. It's one of the very first things God wants to transform and unconform in my life. And that's why God blesses us materially and then he places us in a church where there will be all sorts of kingdom needs manifested. So there's something I can suddenly learn to do to get covetousness out of my heart, to root acquisition out of my heart. Point number two, the gift of leading with zeal. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. 8b, the one who leads with zeal. Zeal. Ministry does not come easy. Not any ministry. I'm not talking about just pastoral ministry. All forms of leadership. Ministry doesn't come easy even for gifted people. And that's why Paul describes the, off, the, the offering of our lives to the Lord, 12.1, as a sacrifice. People have to be recruited, they have to be motivated, they have to be nurtured. And in a church of any size, that takes leaders. There are places where we get hints of the diversity of the kind of leadership that there is in a church. We know verses like 1 Timothy 5.17, let the elders who rule be well considered of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. And so when Paul says, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching, that clearly implies that not everyone in leadership has those particular roles. So there's lots of roles of leadership. Every ministry in the church takes some kind of leadership. And Paul tells us something really important about the way the Holy Spirit wants to equip and use leaders in the church. Leaders in Bible studies. Leaders in children's ministries. Leaders in the nursery. Leaders among ushers, leaders among greeters, leaders in food distribution, leaders in coffee makers. The leader, any leader, Paul says, will have to, will have to keep his or her passion. It, it, it can't turn into just a job, just an assignment, just a task. And the reason for that is clear. Let me, let me tell you something about, about at least... One particular form of leadership that I know something about. Leadership always looks a lot more glamorous from someone else's perspective than your own. Any leadership. Everyone who's in some form of leadership knows their leadership role isn't quite what they thought it would be. I, I, I don't, I don't, it doesn't happen very often. Once in a while at a conference or something, I have a lot of friends and you talk to people and I, people I went to Bible school with and, and uh, 
once in a while someone will come up and, hey, Don, how's it going there in Newmarket? Wow, I bet you never dreamed, eh, when you were in Bible school that you'd be pastoring a big church like Cedarview. That must be something else. And, and I always want to say, yeah, it's something else. <laughs> it's not what you're thinking. It, it's something entirely different than what you're thinking it is. And that, that's the way leadership works, any kind of leadership. It looks, it looks great from someone else's shoes, someone else's perspective. There's a thousand things that happen every month in a church that can wear you down. Paul says you, keep, keep, you have to keep your zeal. Keep your zeal. Keep in touch with the Holy Spirit. Everybody knows the difference between someone who's just glad-handing and marketing and doing religious schmoozing and someone who has the, the touch of the life and the joy of God and a calling in his or her role. Wherever you're leading in this church, keep your zeal. There'll be all sorts of things that will go wrong. Keep your zeal. There'll be all sorts of people who will criticize what you do. Keep your zeal. There'll be all sorts of people who will who will not thank you for what you're doing for them. Keep your zeal. Three. We're almost done. The gifts of, gift of cheerful acts of mercy. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. The one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Here's how I want to wrap this up. I think we would all agree, you look on that list, and the things he lists, uh, serving, exhorting, keeping your zeal, giving, showing mercy, they're things that we all are supposed to do. Like, every Christian should do all those things. So, in what sense does this gifting kick in? Showing mercy, we should all be merciful. We should be merciful because we've received mercy, right? We've received nothing but grace. And so that should mark everything we do in our relationship with people. So there's no one in this room who can avoid the will of the Spirit in just being merciful people. But you and I both know, you and I both know how God gives somebody a special gift there are people, you see them. You, you can, I can name people in this church. God has just wired them that in a way that it doesn't work this way for me, they are just drawn to anyone who needs mercy in a special way. They can't walk down the street without someone begging for money and, and they can't walk by and not give them something. And God made them that way. They, they aren't just merciful. It is the delight of their life to find someone needing mercy and show it. And you, you know you're supposed to be merciful, and you are merciful. You're growing and showing mercy, but, it, but you're, it's not the kind of thing that delights you the way it delights them. And so then you feel like, well, I just must be a crummy Christian. No, you just, as long as you just keep plugging along showing mercy. And don't beat yourself up because, you know what? Mr. X here or Mrs. X here, they thrive. They exist to find people to whom they can show mercy and compassion and kindness. They are wired that way. They are gifted that way. So that's what I'm talking about. There's, there's a, a kind of calling and a gifting that, that it just draws it out of them. You do it. 
You do it because you read God's word and you see that this is the way God wants us to be. Lord, renew my mind and help me just to be obedient to you in showing mercy as you've been merciful to me in Jesus' name. But there are other people it just gushes out of them. Look at how you're gifted scripturally. I'm personally, this is just personal opinion. You don't have to take this as infallible. I'm not a big fan of books that, that have charts and analyzing uh, different giftings and how to make this work and how to that work. I, I think if you start just following and serving the Lord with God's word in your mind and a prayerful heart, you'll see very quickly where God has placed you. Listen to the body of Christ. Talk to people around you. Try. Step out. Do something. And in all of it, as you follow the Lord and the leading of his spirit, you'll find your calling. You'll find your calling. And everyone says, 